Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the Gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the City of Lagos and beyond renewed by the Gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Good morning, church. Today's Bible reading will be taken from 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 1 to 10. At the end of this reading, I would say, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Then David said, the house of the Lord God is to be here, and also the altar of bond offering for Israel. So David gave orders to assemble the foreigners residing in Israel. And from among them, he appointed stone cutters to prepare dressed stone for building the house of God. He provided a large amount of iron to make nails for the doors of the gateways and for the fittings, and more bronze that could be weighed. He also provided more cedar logs than could be counted, for the Sidonians and Tyrians had brought large numbers of them to David. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced. And the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Ruby. And um, just before we get into the word, can we ask God for the wisdom, the spirit of wisdom, just to be here to enlighten our minds, to open up our hearts so that we can hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, we want to acknowledge our own folly. We want to acknowledge our incapabilities. But we also want to acknowledge that, Lord, you are bigger than us. And, Lord, for every foolishness that we have, there is the wisdom that you are graciously provide to overcome, oh God, that which we don't know. So Lord, make us what we are not today. Lord, teach us what we do not know today. Lord, give us what we do not have today. 
to the praise and glory of your name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. All right, just like that, my energy was a bit low in the first service, so I'm trying to, let me try and compensate as well. But I won't do that by shouting. All right, I hope we're all well. I hope we're not too cold. Don't answer, because we're not going to change anything. All right, especially if you're watching with us for the first time, we're really happy to have you. As um, Chidima already said, my name is Femi, and I hope that at the time that you spend with us, it will be a good time. And for those who are watching online, we're happy to have you with us. And we're having a brand new series. It's a mini-series, a mini-teaching series, and I hope that it will be a blessing to you. Now, let me, let me start this way by telling you about... Um, a date, I don't know if you're all familiar what happened on September 5th, 2007. September 5th, 2007, an absolute monumental day. If you belong to the green camp, uh, to the blue camp, not the green camp. What's the blue and not green? If you, are, if you are green, say, I'm sorry for my life. Just say, I'm sorry for my life. Just say, I'm sorry for my life. I will explain. You are sorry for your life. But if you are blue, say, God has lifted me. Yeah, it's the difference between using Android and Apple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the blue camp, God has lifted you. The green camp, if you confess what is good, God can lift you as well. And so, in, in September 5, 2007, Apple released a product which no longer exists today. But they thought it was going to be a revolutionary product. So, they thought it was a historic moment. They released the iPod Touch. The iPod Touch, fantastic stuff. It was an iPhone that couldn't make calls, essentially. Right, and, and funny enough, earlier that year, they released the iPhone. So you're like, hey, why, 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 why are they doing this? But at that time, they thought it was revolutionary because before then, we just had the iPod. And with the iPod, you had the dial. It was, you were pressing buttons. But now you could touch things, and there was color, and there was everything. And it was about to change the world. Not. It went. But something more significant was happening on September 5th, 2007. Something way more important than this. Something was happening to someone. On September 5th, 2007, 19 days after he had told the lady who was now going to become his wife to become his girlfriend, and he was filled with a lot of joy and confidence, one man stood outside of his parents' house, taking the two suitcases that he had with him, and he was leaving his parents' house for good. He was going to start his new life in the UK. And he knew that everything was in front of him. <laughs> Yours truly was that man. I'm sure some of you got it. Now, the content of those two suitcases, let me tell you, most of it were clothes and everything. They contained everything I had acquired up until that time, my mid-20s, all my material belongings. But sadly, like the iPhone, the iPod Touch, those things didn't last. In fact, most of them did not I, I don't think any lasted beyond three years, right? The things in my suitcase. But you know, I carried another suitcase on that day. And you see, in that suitcase were not things that were material. No, in that suitcase were not things that wouldn't last. In fact, the things in that suitcase were going to affect my life for the rest of my life. They were the things I had acquired over a period of time. What things? The spiritual things, the moral things, the mental things, the social things, and the attitudinal things that my parents had bequeathed to me up until that time of my life. And they were saying, here it is, Femi, Go. They are going to shape the rest of my life forever, for good or for ill. 
Now, by the grace of God and also to the enormous credit of my parents, it shaped my life more for good. Listen to me. For those of us who are parents or for those who will be wood parents are about to be parents, your children will leave your house one day and they will leave with a suitcase. What is in that suitcase now? What will be in that suitcase after? Can you close your eyes with me just for a moment? As you think about your child, they are leaving two suitcases, maybe three. What do you want to be in that suitcase? What are the things you hope that you'll have given to them? Desirous, isn't it? Desirable, isn't it? You're saying that they will be the man and the woman that you want them to be. Now, I want to ask you a question with eyes still closed. Are you parenting or will the philosophical view of parenting that you've adopted when you parent those children, is it able to produce those contents in the suitcase, the ones you have just desired? Now open your eyes. I don't know what you thought about inside that suitcase, but let me tell you this. You can't wish it into the suitcase. You can't simply, I hope this will not be erroneous, but you can't simply pray it alone into that suitcase. You can't, by chance, hope that it will enter there. Chance is a terrible teacher that produces very mediocre positive results. No. If you want those things to be produced, you know what it's crying out from you? It is crying out for you to be intentional in the way you parent. Which is why we dubbed this series The Intentional Parent. Because listen, we were once, some of you here were once the children of yesterday. You are meant to be the leaders of today now. That tomorrow that they said is today now. And the, the adults of today are the ones that are shaping the history of our nation, of our city, of the church going forward. Now, you also have that responsibility of being able to shape the next generation. We cannot drop the ball on it. And so, what we want to do with this series is to equip you with biblical wisdom that enables you to become the kind of parent that the kind of child that you have envisioned requires you to be. And by God's grace, you will become that kind of parent. Amen? Now, before we go forward, because we enter into today's sermon, I need to make a few disclaimers. Why? Because tackling parenting is very, very sensitive. People are mostly defensive when it comes to their parents. Talk about people's money, talk about people's parents, and I don't know, talk about people's religion, and maybe a bit of their politics. But parenting can get you, in fact, some people can leave the church today now because of what I will say. So, I know, it's, as I said, it's a touchy subject, it's very, it's very, very sensitive, but can I beg you? I need some things from you guys. I don't want to be imprisoned by oversensitivity. Can, I, can you give me that liberty? Because if I am, I, there will be things that I would need to say that you need to hear that I won't be able to say because you don't want to offend anyone. But you know that it's possible to be convicted without being offended. 
It's possible to be convicted without feeling condemned if it is the truth of God's word. So I need a bit of liberty. And with that, I want to make a couple of disclaimers. One is this. There is nothing that I am going to say in this series that is directed at you, well, that is intentionally directed at you personally. Because, you know, sometimes with preachers, you say, I see, I, I don't like Pastor Femme because he was thinking about me when he was preaching that thing. No, I wasn't thinking about you. The Holy Spirit was thinking about you. And if the sides, if the, if the shoe fits, uh, fits, then, how do you say it? No. Eh? Uh, the shoe fits, then wear it. So it's not, I don't have anybody personally in mind. That's number one. Number two, I also acknowledge both for those watching and for those in the house that, listen, there are some unique cases that are available. For instance, single parents. So sometimes I'll be saying certain things that don't specifically apply to single parents, but I hope I will say things that will be helpful for single parents. Second, is that for people with kids that are on the special needs spectrum as well, again, sometimes some of the things that we deal with are unique. So don't think that everything I say applies. At the same time, if I give any positive examples in my life, it's not because I'm bragging. I'm not bragging. Right? But if I'm trying to pass on certain things and I cannot with integrity say, I have seen this thing work, it doesn't help. You are not sure whether it's right or wrong. But I'll also share some of my own mistakes as well. Then, finally, I do want to address, yes, it is primarily first for parents, but... It's not only for parents. This is for people who are, would be parents. Some of us are pregnant, and maybe it's going to be our first time. Some of us are aspiring parents. You want to be a parent. And so it is good for you to be prepared now to start thinking about it now. But how about people who are not sure they will become parents? Or people who don't want to become parents? Is this thing going to be helpful for me? You bet it will. Why? Because, for instance, it will enable you to reflect on how you were parented. You will be able to give thanks to God for the way your parents parented you on certain things when you see, oh, this is why they did that. Thank God. But where there were also gaps as well, you'll be able to reflect and say, okay, so this is where they didn't do well. I need to avoid it. But let me even go a step further. The whole system of um, um, a whole um, field of, of, of research and studies called family systems theory. And some of the most famous people in family systems theory, eventually, when there was a guy, I've got, is it, I think, Ed, Ed, Edward... Edward Friedman or Edwin Friedman. And not only did he, you know, lecture in all of the family systems theory, in the latter part of his life, he was speaking to presidents, he was speaking to CEOs, he was speaking to many organizations. Why? Because the principles that you have for parenting children are the leadership principles that you need to parent, uh, to, not to parent, to lead people as well. And so whether or not you feel like, uh, well, I don't know whether I'm going to be a parent or not, there are still going to be things, wisdom, that you can use in your everyday life. Amen. So with all of that said, I want us to go into this first, the first um, uh, sermon in this series. Remember, I told you to close your eyes to envision the kind of child you wanted. Why? Because a visionary parent is an intentional parent. And so the first sermon that we're going to look at in this series is the visionary parent. And we're going to look at that under three topics, uh, three headings, when you don't see, when you do see, and when God sees. All right, so I said it's a teaching series, so we're learning more rather than me preaching. So first, when you don't see. 
There's a guy called John Tyson, very brilliant guy. He's a pastor, but also a writer. And he wrote a book that I recently read, and I love what he said there, that even though he was talking about dads, he said that there are five types of, I'm going to paraphrase it to be for parents. There are five kinds of parents. Let me tell you the first four. The first four are the irresponsible parent, the, incons- uh, the irresponsible parent, no, sorry, the irresponsible parent, the ignorant parent, the inconsistent parent, and then the involved parent. Who is the, no, go back, go back, go back. Who is the responsible parent? Go back to the responsible. The responsible parents are absent parents. Have you ever heard the term baby daddy? Right? Somebody that gives birth to a child but doesn't father the child. Right? Irresponsible parents. They are not there. And with, because they are not there, what happens? They have no meaningful contribution to the child's life because they are just not there. The second one, which I said, is the ignorant parent. These are the ones who have no idea about what they are doing. But they just parent out of their whims and their impulses. They just do it. They they are parenting on the fly as it goes. They knew they wanted to be married. They knew they wanted to have a child, and that was all they knew after that. We'll try to do this. We'll go, we'll go run them. And they've been running it and they've been running the children out of their destiny. Because what happens is they are also too proud to admit that they don't know what they are doing. So they keep doing what they are doing and the thing is bad. And eventually what they do is that they project the brokenness in their own life. They project it into the children. The third one is the inconsistent parents. The inconsistent parents are the parents who are capable of doing a whole lot more if they only put themselves to it. But the problem is that their personal ambition or their, drive, their, their self, um, selfish ambition sometimes, it eventually causes them to prioritize their career or prioritize other people above their children. And eventually what happens is at some point they realize, at certain points they realize, I'm not doing well, I'm not doing well. So they're overwhelmed with guilt. And when they're overwhelmed with guilt, you know what they do? They quickly try to fix it. Let's go out. Let's go and do this. Let's quickly go and do that. Maybe in a week or two. And then they get back into the same pattern. It's not that they are terrible. They do things, but they just don't put in as much of the time. Can I tell you that for a significant part of my life, that was me. That's the parent I've, I've been now. I hope I've really improved. My wife says I have improved. She says I've improved. But it's still my default struggle. But then there's another one, which is the involved parent. Oh, so by the way, the, the, the problem with these guys is that eventually they don't end up passing a stable sense of identity or security to their children. Then the final one is the involved parents. These are noble parents. These are people who are there. But they are parenting according to a general script. And so they'll be there for their children's big days, their birthdays, the sports days, all of those things. They are there. And those things are good and noble, but they've not asked the right questions to know the specificity of that child. And so they are generically parenting the child in a good way, but they are not specifically parenting this child in a way that is tailored to help that child. So what eventually happens, they don't really parent them in alignment with God's purpose for them. If you're a parent here, which one are you? Be honest. As I said, sometimes I struggle with being an inconsistent parent more than I should. But I've also gotten a little bit, I've cheered up because when I open the Bible, I see that 
I have some fellow inconsistent parents. David, a man after God's own heart, was an inconsistent dad, as much as I see. And the way I done the math is this. If David was an inconsistent dad and was a man after God's own heart, then if I'm an inconsistent dad, they say it doesn't work like that. All right. But David, you know, the greatest part of David's failure, the greatest aspect of his life where he failed was his parenting. David was a wonderful general. He was a wonderful king. David presided over a united kingdom of Israel, but he presided over the divided kingdom in his home. He was a bad dad. His children hated each other. In fact, his children were killing each other. His children were sleeping with each other. One raped the other one. And David was just looking. He was a failure as a dad. Except with one. His name is Solomon because with Solomon, he was much more focused. He was a visionary parent with Solomon. How do I know that? Well, in the text that we read, you know what happened? In verse 7, David, because God had done so much for him, he also wanted to do something for God. So he says, I want to build a house for God, verse 7. And you think you always, anything you want to do for God, God wants. Nope, verse 8, God said you wouldn't. Why? Because you have shed too much blood. But in verse 9, God says, doesn't mean that I don't want someone to build a house for me. I just have somebody else in mind. Who is the person I have in mind? Not you, David. Your son, Solomon. Solomon will build me that house. Verse 9, but you have a son who will be a man of peace and rest. I will give him rest on all, from all his enemies on every side. And he will, his name will be Solomon. Verse 10, he is the one who will build a house for my name. So guess what? David already had a vision for Solomon. What Solomon was going to be, a temple builder. How and why did he? Because God told him the vision. God, David knew the purpose of God for Solomon's life. Because God has shown it to him. And as a result of that, he says in verse 5 that he made extensive preparations. He had a plan for how to parent David. And we'll see more of that in the uh, next week. But he also was going to start to prepare David as well. Listen, the first step to being an intentional parent is what do you see these children becoming? What do you see this child that has been given to me? What do you see them becoming? Because that has an effect on the child, but also has an effect on the parent. Can I demonstrate that to you? It has an effect on the child when you have a vision for what that child is going to be. And the first way you put, well, you make it effective in that child is by, when you have a vision, what do you do? Vision cast. You sell the vision to the children. You say, this is what you can become. This is what I see you become. This is what I see you become. Now, here's the point. They may not become that exactly, but they become something that is underlying what you are trying to say. Can I give an example? When I was growing up, um, my, my sisters and I would be in the car, we'd be driving, my dad would be driving us in his brown um, Peugeot 505. If you don't know what 505 is, grow up. <laughs> well, Peugeot 505. And sometimes you'll say, so we'll be sitting at the back, we say, you, you'll be a cardiologist, my older sister. My younger sister, you'll be a, um, what's it called? Um, uh, a, 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 an oncologist. Me, I was going to be the neurologist. Now, guess what? None of us ever became any of that. 
In fact, I'm going to even bring it up with my dad because I didn't become a neurologist, but I've visited many neurologists. I don't know how that didn't work. Now, none of us became that. At some point, he realized that I didn't like biology. My younger sister, too, her biology was... So he now said, oh, this boy likes math. You'll be an engineer. You'll be a this, you'll be a that. Again, well, I studied to be an engineer. Whether I'm an engineer is another thing entirely. I engineer people's lives. How about that? All right? Okay. But here's the point. Whilst we didn't become exactly what he was vision casting, here is what happened. He planted another vision in us that we should not be mediocre at what we have, with anything we wanted to achieve. We should not be mediocre in anything we set ourselves to achieve. And by God's grace, we achieved that vision. When you cast the vision to your children, all of a sudden you are preparing them in what they can become. If you are not casting any vision to them, guess what? Social media, YouTube, all the things around them will cast a vision for them and they will go in that direction. Am I speaking to somebody here? That's the effect on the child. But what about us? If you are a visionary kind of parent, it starts to affect you in your parenting. Can I apply it to something that absolutely no parent in the history of the world has ever struggled with? Correcting our child. If you are a parent that has never struggled with correcting us, just, no. You know what? We often have two kinds of errors. We either undercorrect or we overcorrect. I like to call the undercorrecting parents, the Ephesians 6 verse 4 parents. Ephesians 6 4 says, do not exasperate your children or embitter your children. So there are those ones. But then the overcorrecting parents are who? The Proverbs 13 verse 25 parents, spare the rod and no, it, well, they overcorrected you. We'll get to that. But undercorrecting, I think we undercorrect for two primary reasons. That is, and undercorrecting means we don't correct self. Is either we are overcompensating or we are too tired. What do I mean? Overcompensating. The way you are corrected, I don't know how many of you, when you are growing up, it's like, help me bring that thing. Then you are now walking. Why are you walking? Is there something wrong with you? Ah. Then you are just sitting down and you are just, look at the way you just opened your leg. And then when you now do something really bad, come, come here. I don't know, mommy, I don't come. I say, come. And by the time you know, you know when they're beating you and they're talking at the same time, you're, this stupid picture I get. And so, because we've been overcorrected, now you want to go so far away from how you were. Now you are overcompensating. I just dialogue with my two-year-old and she understands me. So don't do that again, boo, 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 boo. Oh, you did it again. You're so cute. You are dialoguing your child's future away. Overcompensation. But some of it is that we are just too tired. Tired. It's not even so tired of, of correcting. I'm just tired of life. Life will hit you all. Well, if you know what it took to... My wife and I, we saw one once. Uh, it wasn't a skit. It was a real life thing. It was on a plane. This uh, lady was sitting behind with her two children. One boy. The boy looked like he was eight. In front of them was a man and his wife. And... The child that was eight, he kept kicking the, under the chair of the man. And you could see, at the time they put the video, the man was just doing like this. He just turned back to the man, can you please try to correct your child? And the woman was like, at some point he said, have you ever flown three hours with two children before? Like, there's nothing I can do. He, said, he told her, he said, you should read the parenting manual. I sort of agreed with him, but let's not go there. 
But she was just like, well, I don't, I'm tired. And some of you know, you know exactly this thing. Because when you're in church, sometimes, and there's somebody with a child behind, and the child is misbehaving, and we look to that person, and the person does like this. Like, see, you, if you know how, it's, I, am, I am a successful prayer for bringing that child here. There's nothing you are going to tell. The child will cry. Let somebody, ushers, come and carry. I'm tired. So we're under correct. Here's the problem. We're still doing it from an impulse. There is no intentionality in it. Whereas if you have a vision of the child that you want to, or the adult that you want that child to be, what you see is that correction is a way of bringing them back in line with that vision. That is, you are saying, hey, if this child continues this way and continues this way, over a period of time, it will be too late to bring them back. So correction is something that you now do... You, your tendency may be to, be to be soft, but if you are soft, it will be ineffective. So what do you do? Because of the vision, you firmly correct them in a way that's not soft and meaningless in effect. The vision helps you bring them. There is something I'm trying to bring them to. So it's controlled. But then you have the overcorrecting ones. I think, again, two reasons why we overcorrect. One is that they, because of embarrassment, and the other one is because we are scared. Embarrassment is not so much, you know, have you never seen the parents where these parents hardly ever discipline or correct their children, but one day they would just explode because that parent, that child did something wrong in front of the family. Hey, your mommy, you have, you have disgraced me. What did you? Or it's the, it's the same one of the child that went, they offered you food in someone's house. It's like, uh, uh, so you now went to eat. You are telling them that we, we don't have food at home. Ah, may God deal with me ever so severely. This is what they say in the Bible. If I don't deal with like, you will not. I will, I will finish you before you finish me. We're embarrassed. Another one is that we are too scared. It's just, oh, I, hey, they've done something. You say, eh, eh. Ah, you started talking out. You are, you are talking out. You have, you have joined bad gang. Bad gang. So we become scared and then we overcorrect. And we often do it with a kind of force that can push them away from the vision. Whereas if we are motivated by a loving vision of who they can be, then our correction will be tempered with a kind of self-control that ensures that we don't embitter them or exasperate them away from the vision because you can make them hate that vision by being too strong with them. For those who are under correcting parents, Proverbs 13 verse 25 is true. Spare the rod and spoil the child. In fact, the NIV version says, if you don't discipline your child, you hate your child. But for those who overcorrect, Ephesians 6 verse 4 is also true. Don't exasperate your children. Another translation says, don't embitter them. Don't enable them to become bitter. That brings me to my second point, because yes, I'm speaking about having a vision, but one thing about a vision, if you have a vision casted, fine, it's good to have a vision statement, but you also want to break it down. And in the same way, it's good to have a vision of your child, but it's also important to be able to articulate it in, a, in further, in further um, um, uh, uh, components, if you like. Let me give you an example. God gave Abraham a vision. 
about his, 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 what he, Abraham will become. But he said that vision is not just for you, it's for your child, your offspring as well. So when Abraham was parenting Isaac, right, the only, the only child through Sarah, he knew where he was going with Isaac. But Abraham died, and so he knew Isaac was not a problem. He passed it on to Isaac. Now, that same promise that was for Abraham and his offspring was now for Isaac and his offspring. But there was a problem. Isaac, who is going to be his firstborn? Because his wife was now pregnant with twins. And so that's why God needed to clarify how this thing is going to be. So he didn't speak to Isaac. He spoke to Rebekah in Genesis 25 verse 23. This is what he says. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. They will be separated. See clarity? One people will be stronger than the other. Clarity. And one and the older will serve the in other words, there's clarity regarding the vision. You shouldn't just have your vision of your child in a very generic way. You should have it in a more specific way. So let me break down what it means to be a godly and visionary parent through three components that you should use. Three components. One, the spiritual. Two, the socio-emotional. Three, the technical. The spiritual, the socio-emotional, and the technical. I'll say it one more time. The spiritual the social, emotional, and the technical. Now, can you repeat it for me? The first one is? Second is? And the third is? What's the spiritual? What do you want them to know of God and about God? What do you want them to know of God and about God? Listen, your vision of your children if this is not at the center, if this is not what you are most passionate about, then can I say you are already doing your parenting in a bad way, irrespective of all the other good things you are doing. Because at the end of the day, I've forgotten what A.W. Tozer's um, uh, quote says. I think he says something like this, that whatever you think when you think about God is the most important thought that you, a man can ever have. What are you passing on to your children? You, you, you should be passionate that I want my children to know God's commandments. I want my children to know things, truths about God, like doctrines, like theology. But above all, I want my children to love God. I want my children to be able to sing that if all I have is Jesus, I have something more than gold. I'll tell it to the world. Jesus is more than gold. Like, that should be in your bones. That's the first one, the spiritual. The second one, the socio-emotional. And that, if the spiritual is about what to know, this one is about what they should be. What do I mean? What do you want them to be? Characterizing them on the inside, on the outside. What do you want them to be? Characterizing them on the inside and the outside. In other words, your children... Should you should envision them getting along with themselves and with other people. Because if they don't get along with themselves mentally, psychologically, they will not get along with other people sociologically. In fact, I'm saying there can be a strong link between sociopathy, uh, psychopathy and sociopathy. You want them to be integrated whole, like in their emotionally strong, but at the same time, you don't want that your child is the kind of person that enters into a job and six months they are fired. Another one, three months they are fired. You want them to be able to get along with people. 
They may not be the life of the party, but they don't put people off. People say good things about them. And that's because also when they are with themselves, they are not too scared to be with themselves. Third, technical. So the first is about what they know. The second is about how, what you want them to be. The third is what you want them to do. What skills do you want them to have to enable them do specific things? What skills do you want them to have to enable them do specific things? Here, I'm talking about life skills and job skills. Life skills and job skills. What are life skills? When your son starts to grow what we call bebe, you know bebe, does he know how to shave? Did anybody teach him? When your daughter first starts her period, does, is there anybody to talk to her on the hygiene of those things? When your children are getting tires, uh, uh, getting uh, uh, cars, is it just let them go to the mechanic? Do they know where the jack is? Do they even know what a jack is? There are certain life skills that when they leave, do they know how to cook? Somebody's saying, ah, yeah, I don't know how to cook. I can't pass on what I don't have. <laughs> Different things, life skills that can enable them to live alone. But also their job skills. This is why we send them to school. This is why we send them talks. This is why we, put them, uh, we pay for certification so that they can be financially independent. They don't have to always be calling um, mommy, daddy. Um, um, any parent that is still sending their children money after a certain age, they do it out of love, but they are embarrassed as they do it. Don't, teach, don't give your children fish. Teach them how to fish. That's what it is about. Now, somebody will ask, so how then do I ensure that this vision of these three components, how can I pass it, how can I create that vision? Well, I can't go into details now. That's why we have other sermons. But I want to pass on one particular thing you can do that is a non-negotiable. If you don't do this thing well, almost guaranteed you'll never be able to see that vision. If you do it well, then you stand a chance of being able to see that vision. What is it? Let me set it up this way. You know the difference between a historical thing and a historic thing? A historical thing is all the details and the facts of life, the historical aspects of your life. How many of you remember everything that you did yesterday? You don't. But if we are able to record them, that's historical data. But you may remember one or two meaningful things, significant things that happened yesterday. And in the same way, when you reflect on your life, you know you are not reflecting on all the details of your life. You are just reflecting on historic things of your life, whether the broken or the beautiful. The beautiful, like when you got your first car, when you got your first job, when you were appointed head boy, when you were appointed head girl, all of those things. The broken ones, when they passed off head boy and they gave it to Shola, what's his name again? I can't, I like, of all people. This is not therapy, and, but, but you understand what I mean. Your first breakup. Uh, you never had one. I never had one too. I lie. She's watching. All these broken, these are the historic aspects of our life. This is what we are. But guess what? A lot of the historic aspects of our life, both the broken and the beautiful, are things that we saw our parents do, what our parents did to us, or what our parents did to others. They are things that are etched on our hearts. We are, for those of us who are parents and those who will be aspiring parents or will be parents, do you know that you will be doing things that are etched on your children's hearts? Now, what are you doing? What are you, what memories are you creating for them? 
There are memories I have still as a four-year-old, as a five-year-old, as a three-year-old. My first memory is as a three-year-old. The things I can remember that my parents did. And here's the point. Those things that are being etched on their heart, they become examples for your children to follow. And we follow those examples consciously or unconsciously. And we follow them or we run away from them consciously or unconsciously. But here's my point. You better be, if you're going to be a, a, a visionary parent that passes on the vision well to your child, you better be an exemplary parent. I will never forget how... Um, how many of you have ever had that thing where you'd be like, you did something like, gee, I become mommy. Or I become my dad. I, I can't believe it. And the one thing you said you won't do. A couple of years ago, this was like eight years ago, my dad, a cousin of mine had a baby. So I called my dad. And I can't remember. But my dad was not happy. I said, well, he said, he said well, he didn't tell me. So as far as I'm concerned, I don't know. I said, all this old... All this old kid, you need to get over it. I remember it was a bit of an argument. I'm like, get over it. Three years ago, <laughs> one Aburo of mine, who, you know, growing up together, but I mean, there was a distance, like seven years. I remember when he moved to England, I was the one that set him up, went to pick him from the station, carried him, did everything, came back into this country. I heard he was getting married. My dad called me that he's getting married. Are you coming? I said, who? He's getting married. I said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, I don't know. But why? What do I? I said, he did not tell me. It was at that moment. <laughs> I said, ah, I've become my dad. And now, if you say you are somebody to me, and I hear about a significant thing in your life, and you didn't tell, I always tell you, I said, I have not heard. I have become my father, Oha. Some of you are on your way to becoming your parents. It's, there's nothing you can do. It's etched on our heart, but sometimes it's also the broken things. And they will follow your example. You see, with David here, the fantastic thing about David is, David was saying that Solomon is going to be a temple builder. But if you read from verses 1 to 4, he's giving orders to assemble the foreigners residing in Israel so that some stone cutters will be there. Those who dress stones will be there. Those who provide iron will be there. He was providing for iron. He was providing for the doors. He was providing cedar logs. All of those things. Why? Because David was participating in what he ultimately wanted Solomon to become. Did do you hear that? He was telling Solomon he could with all sense of credibility and integrity say, follow me. This thing I want you to do, I am participating. Guys, here's the lesson. You must be the first prototypical embodiment of what you see them becoming. Because if you don't do that, you will not be hidden. Christy Essien-Ibuku's warning to us. What did she say? Remember that song? Oh, mommy, show me mommy, The part I'm getting to is when she says, In other words, if a child behaves badly, who would they say taught the child? The father or the mother? And so then he says, Hear me, um, in other words, what you're saying is this. So, but my own parents 
showed me, gave me right morals, showed me the right way. I am an inexperienced child. This life that I'm in, I don't even understand it. He said, but, and this is a powerful phrase. He says, but you are like my secondary gods in this world. In other words, if I'm meant to follow God, I first see it for my parents. But what if your parents are not acting like God? How are you going to act to your children? Let me tell you, this is the thing that makes or breaks them. And I'll give you three examples. The same three examples in the components that I gave you. So, for instance, how can you be a typical embodiment of what you see your child becoming or not being one? The technical. Let your kids, for instance, you are saying hard work, hard work. Can your kids see you work hard too? You are saying that you want them to read, read. Do they ever see you reading? Or, as you are telling them, go and read your book. You are telling them, go and read your book, but you are just scrolling through more YouTube videos. Auntie, uncle, is it right? Work hard in front of them. Give them the right skills. Recently, my wife started taking my 11-year-old to shop in spa. And she would tell him, this is how much we are meant to spend today. This is the budget. So what's happening is, as they are going through the aisles, he's going to say, ah, no, I, I, no, we can't take that. Ah, we take that one. So by the time they finished self-shopping and they went under budget, my wife said, if you see how happy he was, because he was directing things. First of all, he now understands why we can't be buying Kellogg's again. And all that. That's, uh, I'm not arguing for manipulative parenting, but I'm just saying, you know, just saying. But honestly, you know, when I was growing up, one of the things I just, because I tried to go to secondary school, one of the things that is sad for me is that they're not going to have what you call talk shops and all of those things. So we can't give him allowance because we have to pay for the feeding. That was where I first learned the skill of financial management. That was where I understood how to save, forgo. I fasted my, when I went to buy my girlfriend Valentine present, I had in secondary school, mommy, daddy, I'm sorry. <laughs> Versace Blue perfume was very expensive. I will save. That's where we learned it. Are you following me? When we're planning for a new conference and I was working hard, very late, having multiple meetings with the staff and sometimes I couldn't do the things with the children, I would explain to them over and over. They started seeing, at some point, I started showing them the spreadsheet. This is why we are in this one here. This is why we are in this one here. This is why we are in this. What am I doing? I'm not just showing them how to use spreadsheets, but I'm also trying to communicate to them something that you don't provide for your family without working hard. Communicate these skills to them. Give them the life skills. Give them the, uh, the, 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 um, the, the other skills, the job skills, but demonstrate. Be an example to them. Second one, socio-emotional. Watch your emotions before them. Watch your emotions before them because they will follow your example most times. You know one thing? I can solve a problem for you. One thing that's always bugged me. It's like, why is it that we have so many people with road rage in Lagos? Remember, have you ever been in traffic where the traffic was there, somebody just stopped, just block, came down, or block, I'm not even going anywhere. Road rage, abusing people over and about. And if I ask you the reason, you say, well, because there's so much, the traffic, so much is happening in Lagos, blah, blah. It's not true. Those only just serve to, you know, to, to bring out the worst. The reason is because the children... Uh, the adults were children that followed the example of their parents. Mm, mm, well. They learned road rage first from their parents. So when your, their parents were playing, uh, what was this woman, Bola Are, 
And uh, you know, you're singing, okay, you know, uh, you are mighty, and blah, blah. And somebody just can yeah. And so now, you are now playing Nathaniel Bassi. I remember, remember, somebody just swore, you're like, you, you are, you are idiot. That's what you are remembering. Watch your emotions before your children. I am not saying become a hypocrite so that you do something in, pri- in public that you are not doing in private. I'm saying because you, it will embarrass you in front of your children and they are going to learn in public, watch how you do it in private. How do you treat your workers? How do you treat waiters? When you go to a restaurant and the, the waiters tell you, ask the name and he says, I'm Solomon. Do you now say to your children, that's Solomon? The waiter will bring your food. If you think that the food is a bit slimy, don't know why. So look at this one. Put it inside. I'm just giving you tips. What your how do you treat your domestic staff? Do you do you scream at your domestic staff in front of your children? First of all, you shouldn't be screaming at them. You can correct them firmly. You shouldn't be screaming at them. But if you if you if you if you if you correct them in a particular way, you can correct them in a particular way that is right. But in front of your children, it washes them down. It doesn't give them any dignity. What do you think they will do to that domestic staff? And then after they move from that domestic staff, because they followed your example, that's how they will take it into their workplace and they will now know how to treat people. You give them a bad example. Whereas if they see you control your emotions in right ways, if they see you address their mother in, in, in a way that is respectful, if they see you address the father in a way that is respectful, even when you disagree, if they see all of those things, they will say, ah, it's possible to have problems with people, but at the same time, the Holy Spirit can control my temper. Are you following what I'm saying? And the final one is the spiritual. Now, this one's coming. You know, as a pastor, I have to talk about this one. Can I get a chair, please? Let me sit down. I want to park here. I'm joking. But let me first say this. Please, don't expect spiritual curiosity and commitment in your children, whether now or later in life, if they're not seeing it in you first. And there are a number of ways I can say this. For those of many of us, listen, I thank God for City Kids, who really thank God for City Kids. City Kids is here to help you. City Kids is not here to replace you. The Bible says children obey your parents in the Lord, not obey the teachers in City Kids. In other words, the job of parenting your children in godly ways is first given to you. The church is meant to come alongside you to help. Are you following me? And so if you are not involved in trying to teach your children in specific things, what do you expect them to do with their own children? What do you expect to see in them? Let me give you another one. Show you how our children emulate us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, again, what did I say? It's not personal. It's not personal. But if the shoe fits, I wear it. Some of us come to church late with our children. It's not just that you're coming to church late. You're coming to church late with your children. But it's not even just that. It's that you enter late with your full chest. Confidently. Before, you, you've apologized. You used to apologize the first two, three times. But now you just do it. Now, it's bad that you're coming to church late. But it is the example you're setting for those children. If you enter church confidently late, what are you telling those children? You're telling those children that, hey, at the end of the day, there are things in the, in the, in the service that are important. Some other things are not important. You can get late there. And especially when they see you Wednesday night, 
to prepare, you go to bed on time, do everything on time, to go to work early on Thursday. But on Saturday evening and night, they are still seeing you at 10.30 just lazing about. You are not preparing for church. And then Sunday morning, that's when you want to start ironing. You want to start doing all of these things. And you come in confidently. Week in, week out, week in, week out. What are you putting in your children's suitcase? But also you come in just before it's time for the sermon. And so your child's relationship with the service is the sermon. And then later you say that people are having too much affection towards the pastors. And the pastors are blah, 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 blah. Why do they have that? Do you know what you are doing to your child? You are telling your child that it's the sermon that really matters. If that child now has a kind of affection to the pastor, that the thing that you are abusing, you are sowing it into your child's life. Somebody say, go on. I ain't, I ain't done. And if you like, don't tell me go on. There's more. A few years ago, uh, no, not a few years ago, about last year, we do this thing called Kingdom Prayer Day. For those of you who have been coming to church for six months, I would like to introduce you to Kingdom Prayer Day, even though we've had two in the last six months and you didn't attend, but don't worry, it's fine. God ain't angry. I am. <laughs> but no, listen to what this. You announce Kingdom Prayer Day, we announce Kingdom Prayer Day. I saw Funke bring her children to Kingdom Prayer Day. First person, uh, Funke used to lead our city kids. She's no longer here. She, they relocated to UK. And I was wondering why. So the next day I called her to my office. I said, ah, you brought your children. You know, the time. She now said, eh, they will learn now. They, they have to learn. They have to learn how to pray. I said, but time to sleep. Uncle, eh, you know, it's not, it doesn't happen all the time. When she said it, I said, ah, I have seen my, the, I, I just, like I sunk in my seat. I wasn't bringing my children to Kingdom Prayer Day because I didn't want them to lose one and a half hour sleep. But at the same time, I used to wonder, why is it that these my children, they, I don't know how to say, they don't know how to pray. It's not, they were praying, you know, they know how to do our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then when we are praying, say, um, Lord, uh, Father Lord, um, just thank you, yes, and watch over. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I thought, ah, ah, that's okay. But in the day of adversity, you can't be doing Father Lord. You need to do in the name of Father. I tell you, there is a place for that. I now said, how is it that I am wondering how these children don't have it. They've never seen an example. And it reminded me, how did I learn how to pray like that? I went for prayer meetings that I did not want to go, but I only went because my parents dragged me. And whilst they were doing all those things that they were doing, it was entering my mind, even though I wasn't participating in it. You can't say that you're not bringing them what for what kind of comfort so that they will go to school. They will sleep and they'll be okay. It's one day that would affect them. But the God that is making them pass in that school, you are bringing them to come and pray to him. So that's the last kingdom prayer day. After I brought them a few times, they now invited their friends. I was pumped up for that kingdom prayer day. Anointing was flowing. But it wasn't really the anointing. It was that one of my children was in front there and, the, and, and his friend. And they were just praying like the prayer. I said, I'm a fantastic father. Welcome, my son. That's what I was saying. Yes. Are you following me? We, don't, don't start making excuses. Chidima, uh, that, that, that was uh, Chidima and Solomon, that was, Chidima that was um, um, doing our worship coordination, they used to tell me about how when they were going to household of God, you know where household of God is? Ikeja. They were living in Awoyaya. They know that they used to go for Sunday. They used to go for midweek service with their children. 
It was difficult, but they were planting something in the children. What is it? It is this, that you put extra effort in things to succeed in life. How dare you go and give God the crumbs that you are asking to help you in those things? We don't save the least and the worst for God. We give him our best. If you don't believe children are following these things, even when they are small, this is the best picture I've ever taken in this, in this, in this, in this church. Look at this picture. That is Tyrone and her mom, Moni. Tyrone is five years old. Five years old. Her mom is kneeling before God and worshipping God. Now you say, eh, but she's not worshipping God. Look at her. She's even looking at the camera. Here's the point. She's looking at her mom doing something that is strange. She's never seen her mom kneel down like this in front of her dad. She's never seen her mom kneel down like this in front of her granddad. She's never seen her mom kneel down like this in front of her boss. She's saying that there's only one person that my mom kneels to like that. And so I'm going to follow my mom to do the same thing. Maybe at some point as I keep doing it, I will eventually encounter that person that my mom is talking to. Maybe it's the person that we've learned about in City Kids. Do you mean that he is real? But if you come in, you come in late and when worship is going on, that's when you are doing like this. Like... Like, when is this thing going to be over? And that's when you find, that it's at that point you feel, I need to send that message, need to send that message. If you are constantly on your phone in church, why do you think your children need tablets as well? They will follow example, but they will always make it worse. Somebody say, go on. I ain't finished. Let me say one that's really sensitive. Really sensitive, but uh, liberty is going to enable me to say this. This is a trend that must be addressed. If your children, and I'm saying this to a lot of you who don't have children yet, please, when you get married, and I know there are exceptions, but these exceptions are very little. When you have children, not until at least they are 13, 14, 15. I don't care what the circumstances are, except they are very temporary. Don't you ever live apart as, 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 as husband and wife. Don't ever do it. What did I say? Don't ever do it. Don't envision in your mind this sort of family where one spouse is in this place and the other spouse is in another city. Don't. You may think that I am doing Many people say I'm doing it for the children. What you are doing economically that is supposedly economically blessing the children, whilst you are putting economic benefits into their suitcase, you are taking away social benefits. You are taking away spiritual benefits. Listen, there are certain things that can only be passed to your children when you are present there. I dare say 75% of the lessons they will learn is just because you are present. You didn't even instruct them in anything. And once you are pulling yourself apart, you are immediately sowing into your children that it is possible to have a marriage where one person maintains one house, the other person maintains another house. You don't know what that damage is. Apart from the damage it's doing to you. Don't settle to do those things. I'm saying this, it's a trend. If some of us are doing it now, I don't mean to offend you. I'm trying to deliver you and deliver your children. Because what we are doing is this. God says, so shall a man leave his father and mother and do what? Cleave to his wife. But now we are saying cleave to his wife, but also after he's cleave to his wife, he can now move somewhere else. You left father and mother only to go to your wife and then go somewhere else. What are we doing? Um, but I'm also saying, you are passing on an image that your children think is good. I have one more. Just one more. 
Because children learn by example. They learn by example. They learn what? There was a time, thank God for how he's been blessing people and all that. There was a time. People used to send their children abroad to go and study for masters. It's fine. A master's 23, 24, you are ready something. A lot of people didn't have the money for first degree. First degree, 16, 17, okay. We moved to that one. Now, the craze is sending the children to a foreign country, junior secondary school, after junior secondary school. At the age of 13, 14, I'm telling you, I'm taking God to beg you. What you are doing there is not good. I hear people say, I'm doing it for children to give them the best education. Education is not simply about math and English. Education is primarily what they see. Yeah. And the formational stages of a child at 12 is different from a child of 16. What you have about with a child that is 16, the kind of conversation you have is different from 12. There are certain things that you can only implant in them 15, 16. I would say the best age after 18, don't do it. What I mean by that, I mean, I mean like you have just totally left them or it's, you, are take, you are taking them so far away. Please, let's reconsider some of these things we are doing. I'm not trying to set a hard rule. I will try and push it as much as possible, but seeing your children, to, you and your, the fam, just even that we go to church together over and over and over and over and over again, it says something to that child. Be careful about the examples that you are setting, guys. They are being etched on the heart of your children. And they will follow those examples for good or for ill. When you envision that child, when you envision that adult that is leaving your house, you want them to be mature spiritually. You want them to be mature socio-emotionally. You want them to be mature technically. That's what God calls us to do. Now, wrapping up, I mean, somebody may say, well, man, this thing is really challenging. It's really challenging. It's challenging for me as a parent. It's, I'm sure it will be challenging for my children as well. You bet it will be challenging. No good thing, no precious thing is gotten easy. I'm sure we know that. But here's the beauty about exemplifying what you instruct. When you try your best to exemplify what you instruct, the first thing you are sending to the one you are instructing is this. It's possible. It's actually possible. You may not produce it fully, but at least you can produce it. It's the same thing when we're at work. If we exemplify the thing that we're telling our subordinates to do, they are showing them that it's possible. I really believe visionary parenting is something God tells us to do. He instructs us. But remember what I said. When you exemplify what you instruct, you show them that it's possible. If God instructs us to do a thing, guess what? He exemplifies it. So God is calling you to be a visionary parent, not just because he's instructing, because God himself is a visionary parent. What do I mean? Remember in verse 10, this is what he says. God said to Solomon, uh, to David, he will be my son. I will be his father. In other words, David was actually a sort of surrogate parent to Solomon. The real parent was God in heaven. And so what's going to happen? Well, I guess he says the vision. We know what the vision is. God is going to parent him, and I think everything will be fine for Solomon. Yes, but he does well. 
The kingdom reaches the peak, its peak in Solomon's time. But eventually, Solomon's spiritual thing was not really well put. So the wealth took him away. He now started marrying other wives, 700 of them. They turned their hearts to him, to God. Uh, they turned their heart, he turned his heart away from God. And eventually, the kingdom was now split in Solomon's own child's time. So I guess God's plan for the son of David was actually unfulfilled. Or was it? You see, because the truth is, it was going to be David's son, yes. And that's Solomon on the one hand, yes. And all the children after Solomon. And God kept putting a vision in front of them. But none of them was able to meet it because, one, the surrogate parent was not perfect. But more importantly, Solomon and all the offspring after Solomon themselves had a problem. The problem was never with God. The problem was always with the child. So how is God going to now see that this vision is going to come to pass? Except the only way it can happen is if... There was one that says, a greater than Solomon is here. And I tell you that that one appeared on earth. You see, at the end of the day, it wasn't just that a human being had to be the son that was going to come in. No, it was God the son that came. And God chose two surrogate parents. And when he chose the parents, and he said, there is a child in your womb. He spoke to the first one, Mary. And he said in Luke chapter 1 verse 31, he says this, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He gave her the name. To the man, he also gave the name. He said, she will give to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He gave them the name because of what he was going to be. He set a vision before them. What was the vision? You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. It wasn't just Solomon. There was a greater than Solomon that was meant to come. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. God was not just looking at one kingdom. He was looking at a kingdom that will never end. And then he says to Joseph, the way that vision is going to come of having that everlasting kingdom is that he will be called Jesus because he will save people from their sins. There has never been a greater vision that has been shared for a child that was coming into this world. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That is, there is not a greater vision that has been shared for, before a person that was God's son. God said these are the things that will happen with Jesus. But it looked like that was what was said about Solomon and it didn't happen. But you see, there's a difference here. It's not just that God the Father was perfect, but this one was perfect. Listen to what it says in John chapter 5, verse 19. He says this, John 5, 19, 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 John 5, thank you. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only, what can he do? Only what he sees. The ultimate exemplary parent. He can see all, do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all, all he does. And because God was the exemplary father and Jesus was the exemplary son, he saved by dying for sins. And now he's ruling over his kingdom forever. Why is that important to you? Because what Jesus did, how he was more than what Solomon ever could become. He died so that you can become the parent that he has called you to be. Because through Jesus, God can now say to you, you are my son. You are my daughter. Because the vision of God concerning his son actually came to pass, 
Through that, Jesus, he can say to you, you are my son, you are my daughter. And if you are a son or a daughter of God, then you do what your daddy does. He was a visionary parent. You can do it. It is possible. But three objections. Somebody will say, but I have screwed up. You don't understand how bad a parent I am. And I am so far gone. My child is not even eight. My child is 18. Is there a way I can start again? I just told you that God started again. There was Solomon. There was Rehoboam. There were all the people after. But God kept starting again until he got it right with Jesus. If God could start again, then you can start again. But then somebody will say, I am a single parent. It's very hard. I know it is very, very hard. But God is so, he's so he believes in his power at work in you. So he's not going to lower the standard for you. But guess what? Through this same gospel we just shared. Did you see God co-parenting with somebody else? God himself was a single father. And he's saying to all single parents. That if I could do it because of my spirit in you. You can do it as well. But finally, somebody is saying, I am not yet a parent. What is the use of having a vision for my son now or my daughter? Now, what is the use of having that vision? It's just going to make me feel bad. Oh, don't you understand that the vision God had for Jesus was ha happened before he came into the world. Revelation 13 verse 8 says, he was the lamb that was slain from what? The foundation of the world. So I'm talking to you guys. If you want to parent, I pray that you'll be an intentional parent. I pray that you'll be a visionary parent. No matter how far you have gone, you can start again. No matter how much you think you are lonely, God is with you. No matter how much you think you've not started, you can start having a vision because Jesus died, he is reigning, and you will be the parent that he has died for you to be. Can we rise up on our feet? Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, we hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast, and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City Church Lagos. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. <laughs>